Welcome to the Rise Inside podcast, hosted by Justin Starbird and powered by Rise Robotics. Listen as host Justin talks to experts from the Rise team about topics relating to mechanical engineering, industrial design, commercialization, and innovation. True collaborations work when ideas are integrated at inception to solve significant problems. Rise Inside brings together how the team continues to work with great folks to commercialize ideas. You're listening to the Rise Inside podcast. Here is your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back to Rise Inside. My name is Justin Starbird, and today I'm joined by Kyle Delaquila, co-founder and creative director, and Ken Gray, the vice president of business development. Guys, welcome back to uh, Rise Inside. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, now, Ken, this is your, um, you're our first uh, two-time guest, um, so this is really exciting. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm honored. I couldn't, I couldn't be prouder. <laughs> Kyle, um, you know, uh, I've had the, the fortunate opportunity to uh, speak with the other co-founders prior to, um, uh, to having you on today. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, your role here at Rise. Yeah, so... Um, my role has always been wearing the hats of everything else that's not CEO related or uh, mechanical engineering, which pretty much everyone else is. Um, so I have been helping out with a lot of the business development before Ken showed up. I'm still helping. You know, we're now it's a bigger team on the uh, on the soft skills. Definitely and, my uh, he's definitely my right hand, Justin, yeah. to say the very least. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. You know, whatever, whatever gets the job done. And it's a very business development is a very uh, strange and squishy subject. And Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. (laughs) So, so so he always does this. So Kyle, Kyle underrepresents himself. Kyle is one of these rare engineers who is equally strong, left brain, right brain. And so he's, he's the tremendous combination of artist and technical person at the same time so a lot of the creative things that you see on the on our website for example and a lot of the incredible designs um, start off as impossible ideas in the in the mind of this uh, of this person and uh, and find themselves into production and uh, in many products that we build. So I, I think he's, he's always too modest. So I had, I had to jump in there and say that. Oh, <laughs> well, well, thank you for that uh, uh, overview of his role. Um, Kyle, you know, you and I've got to know each other a little bit over the last few months. Same with you, uh, Ken and I go back years. So, um, mm. so this is like old hat, but, you know, um, Kyle, tell me a little bit about, you know, rise. What does, what does rise do? Yeah. So, uh, it's morphed over the years, but I would say the common thread that was always there was, uh, at least when I showed up, was actuation. And I showed up in, I think, 2015, late 2014, 2015. Um, that's a number to clarify, but it's it's been around. I've been here uh, since the what we used to call the cyclone days, and that's when uh, our actuators were 3D printed and where you're using uh, string or rope. And um, yeah, I was, I was working at a, uh, as a, at a, you know, prior to rise, I was working in Fall River, Massachusetts at a printing and dyeing uh, manufacturer, doing a lot of military stuff, a lot of camouflage. 
one of the three printing and dyeing manufacturers that does all the camouflage for the U.S. military. And mm-hmm. uh, one day, Aaron reaches out, uh, saying that uh, some of the uh, some of my roommates uh, who are trying to do a startup, who are consulting Aaron's, uh, <clears throat> they Aaron wanted to do a trade instead of uh, money in repay for advice. And uh, Aaron was looking out for uh, for somebody that can do a lot of uh, a variety of tasks that are not mechanical engineering related, including marketing and visualizing. And, um, and so, so I, I came over, I, I drove up one day to see, see what this was all about. I didn't exactly know what he was talking about. I didn't really have in my mind, um, that it was about actuation, but when I showed up, he, uh, toured me around the Greentown lab and, and showed me this object, this plastic device that looked, you know, kind of delicate, but, um, finally understood what it did it contracted a very short amount of stroke over four inches and uh um it took me about i don't know 40 seconds to figure out that it was very strong (laughs) pulled about like 70 pounds and so obviously that's a lot stronger than your arms and it was driven by uh some very very simple i think it was like an rc gun uh remote you know like a you know toys it was uh, driven by a simple remote you would hold it and it would uh, pull your arms in quite a bit. And no matter how hard you tried, um, it was obviously stronger than you. And I'm like, wow, this is, I haven't seen this. I, I, I have seen actuators before and they looked kludgy and complex. And, but it was kind of stunning to me that, you know, with so little, uh, such a lightweight object, could you drive something so powerful that it would dominate your arms? I know that's not really a, a, a figure of merit or anything, but uh, I was—I immediately had the picture in my mind that this could be an industrial something someday. And my my profession, or you know, I went to school for industrial design, and uh, so I couldn't help but mentally slap the word industrial on it. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is gonna be great. This is gonna be this is gonna this is gonna go into really big equipment someday. And uh, uh, and it kind of has been since. It's always been actuation, uh, but you know. Prior to me, prior to the cyclone, uh, Blake and uh, Aaron were uh, initially trying to shoot after exoskeletons and exosuits. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they explained that to me and showed me a little bit of the componentry they were building to uh, augment uh, one of uh, one of the earliest investors, Bill Warner, uh, who uh, who could use some man amplifying equipment, uh, I thought it was really a noble cause. And and uh, and I think it sold me right away when when Aaron mentioned the word catapult pants. He's like, wouldn't it be great one day to wear a piece of machinery around like pants that would actually launch you like the feeling of a sitting on a catapult? I'm like, wow, that's I I haven't seen anything like that. Uh, if you guys think it's possible, well, nobody else had shared that kind of vision before, aside from what you might see on movies. Uh, right. And uh, and. And that was powerful. I love it. I, I love the idea of, of the man amplifying idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, uh, you know, at that time, the component was the critical ingredient. And so it was just refining that machine that contracts. And a lot of the early designs were pull only. And, uh, and uh, you know, pretty much right away, I think it was in the first month, we were demonstrating this little product 
at the MIT hackathon. We're seeing what uh, what other kids would do to make use of this machine. Uh, this one one group made an exoskeleton you know, arm, just an arm out of angle iron and stuff. It's very crude, but you know, man, it couldn't. It was really cooking a whole bunch of sort of ideas, like how quick it was for this one team to take our component and uh, hook it up to very crude looking appliances and make it lift a very heavy object. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is like what you would see in movies. This is it. I haven't seen another company that uh, was shooting after such a tremendous feeling. So, and it only got stronger and stronger, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, what what was the other part of the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that that's perfect. That's a great yeah. story. He's, he's never told me that story before. Just oh. sort of about. I mean, so is that state? Do we still have that thing in the lab? We'll come. We'll come back to that later. But I want to see this. Uh, I want to see that plastic device at some point yeah. too. I haven't seen that. That's awesome. It is in the lab. Yeah, the very very first rendition of that device is in a body bag. And it is in all sorts of bits and pieces, but the the cyclone, as I knew it, is still alive. I mean, some of the strings are all kind of gnarled together, but it's there. Yeah, it will spin if you plugged it in. It's crazy. It's part of our awesome history lesson that's sitting on the the uh, catwalk upstairs, which I did get to see. So, oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm fam- I'm familiar. So that, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you know. Uh, yeah looking back and uh seeing how far you've come you know where is where is rise today what are you what are you doing today yeah or so, what is, a better question is maybe what is rise today what is rise today well what rise is today is a uh is a we're we've got a component that will replace all the problems with hydraulic systems more like pushing and pulling motion with hydraulics. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not shooting after the uh, rotary to rotary applications um, for that is in our minds a somewhat solved problem, but to do rotary to linear, you know, to go from like a uh, prime mover to linear motion with as least amount of energy as possible. That's us, that is rise. And, uh, and there's not a lot of, uh, for the sizes that we're shooting at, there's not a lot of competition. So we really are uh, a great answer to an age old problem is knocking out the issues related to hydraulics, no more fluids. We've, uh, we kind of alluded to that may be where things would go long ago. Mm -hmm. And it scared us because, you know, and the forces seen in hydraulics were, were, were pretty insurmountable at the time. You know, we were always using the metric of, uh, cross cross sectional uh, power density as a metric. You know the amount of uh, how many pounds per force can you do for a given cross section. You know that's that's how we were uh, comparing ourselves to other appliances. And uh, you know back in the string days we were man magnitudes off. But um, now we are on the order of something you would see with these big fluid powered steel barrels and. Yeah, we really are starting to uh, be a force to be reckoned with. I would have to say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the more I get yeah. to know, you know, the the more I I see that as well. And you know, right outside of your office um, is uh, a construction site that that's going on. And and as I uh, you know told uh, Tomas last last uh, week, you know, 
not for anything, but you know, there, there's a day not in the too distant future where, you know, rises inside a lot of the equipment that's moving, you know, moving earth and moving uh, material right outside. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I've heard a little bit of this from Ken and, and I'd like to get your insights, Ken, in a minute, but you know, Kyle, for you, what made this vision so important? What made this vision so important? Um, which, which vision there's, there's quite a few. Well, there's well, probably two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's the, like exoskeletons and then there's, uh, destroy hydraulics. So the, for well, better. yeah. So the destroy, <laughs> uh, you know, the exoskeleton was a more noble, um, you know, cause I, I think. And, and, um, I think, uh, that's something based on the conversations with everybody that I've met that it would be, um, a great opportunity to come back to. Um, and then in the meantime, you know, you have this you know, destroy hydraulics, as you say, uh, as, as a, as a true vision and somebody, you're going to make, make some big companies hate us with that. Company. Yeah. Yeah. No. This will yeah. yeah. be our, our title, title <laughs> today's fine. interview, destroy yeah. hydraulics. New monarch of machines. That's destroys right. Destroys so hydraulics. Why, so, so why is it? Why, why is the, why is an alternative to hydraulics so important to you, Kyle? I mean, it really is. I mean, this is really what you're about. Yeah. Well, uh, early on when we were in more of a fantasy land. Oh, and, and something I forgot to point out about the exosuits, exoskeletons, um, is uh, is that the the previous attempts in this space are, uh, you know, in the commercial space, which has predominantly been in the medical space, are too slow too boring and uh, the military versions of exoskeletons at that time were definitely powerful and you can lift heavy things but they looked like you're wearing a car super heavy and those giant machine versions of the same thing would have to be hooked up to an umbilical like to power it you couldn't carry your own gas engine on board that walking machine so right. usually they're tethered they, they, or they look like be... they look like sigourney weaver in alien if you remember exactly. the 80s the 80s the 80s movie that scared me to death but yeah. uh but that's but they're, they're big and bulky uh, actually bulkier than that in, bulkier in than that. Ways. yeah yeah and uh and and we realized it's an issue of components we knew that the current state-of-the-art with the commercial stuff if you wanted to carry your own power supply, you, you know, you'd probably have to use, um, a lot of people are using like mini winches or just simple uh, motors at the joints. And they were, they're just insanely slow. The only thing that those commercial versions uh, would augment are people who had no power in the legs. Um, it would be able to make somebody who couldn't move, be able to move at crawling speed. You know, it's, it's very uh, not exciting. And we, like our vision, we wanted athletic exosuits. That's why we call them exosuits, you know, not exoskeletons. We want them to be fun things that, you know, one day would augment the Olympian to become a greater Olympian without having to take ster steroids. You know, like you would be able to put on an appliance and then uh, leap a few yards on a track, on a football field. And that was kind of like a very early vision that Blake and Aaron uh, had as well as Tomas, uh, they're all very athletic fellows and they didn't want to work on boring things. They, I think we all shared the same sentiment about how boring the medical space is and why can't, why can't the toys work for the most of us? You know, why can't the man be uh, empowered? And, you know, uh, you know, we, as we were learning about the component space, 
there was a great divide between those uh, gear driven designs and then this fluid powered world and a huge, just an enormous gap in between. And, um, and there was something about actuation that we just couldn't help ourselves. So that's where we funneled our energy. There was a moment there before that where they thought it was an issue of springs not being power dense enough. And there was some amazing, amazing designs in uh, making springs more uh, power dense. And they're mm-hmm. using fiberglass diamonds that were all rigged in a very amazing compact modular grid-like fashion and something that would weigh, oh, like, you know, compared to like a car coil spring, you can have something in, in the 10th of the weight or, or even less in a small form factor. Um, but, uh, you know, Blake and Aaron realized that you know, when it comes to energetic fun equipment, it's not the springs problem. It's, it's how much power you can put into a spring. A spring is just a passive component, but you need to put, you need to convert energy into this linear motion that, that can, you know, uh, parallel your legs per se. And, uh, that's, that's why actuation was so important. So, um, so with that, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead, keep going. Oh, no, no. I was going to ask for, uh, Ask for where I, where did I lose track? What, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, no, that you was, stayed on it. Yeah, that was perfect. You a great. That's a great story. You've never told me that story. I mean, how much time have I spent with you? And I've oh. never heard that perspective before. You've been holding out on me. So, oh, oh, yeah. You yeah get a microphone. So. You put a microphone in front of somebody, and all That's of a sudden, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It really yeah, so, like rewinding the tapes. Yeah. So it's the so so it was the bulk. It was the bulk. It was the it was the bulk of hydraulics. And the limitations of, you know, traditional, you know, linear actuators that drove you guys, that that drove this this brilliant team at Rise to develop something that was, as, you know, that something that was electric that was had much more capacity and capability than electric actuators. Yeah. Without the so to would deliver the performance of hydraulics, that is the force, the speed, the stroke, without the bulk, right? Yeah. And and that's where that's that that's what drove this business, the creation yeah. of of the of rise cylinder, right? right. Am, am, I, am I paraphrasing that right? I think that's a yeah. really interesting point, a really yeah. interesting way to tell that story, Kyle. I love yeah. that story. Thank you. Thanks for sharing oh, yeah. that with me after all this time. I mean, you've been all value. You don't <laughs> I know was, me, dude. I thought it was obvious. I don't know. That <laughs> <laughs> somebody said it. Uh, maybe, maybe like over the years, we've like shied away from like the uh, the uh, useful whimsy. I think is what Blake would use as a word. Uh, you know, our explorations in the exoskeletons was something that really fueled our energy. You know, we really, uh, um, you know, is it, it's like we were creating a new market. You know, it's like, oh, it's not for medical. It's not for military. It's for athletic stuff. And like, you know, and like yeah. creating a new market is like one of the hardest things you could possibly do. And we always had that in the back of our mind. And our components were not good enough to be in that space. But, um, you know, as we were studying the actuator, as it advanced, as the uh, pounds per square inch of the cross-sectional area increased over the years, it, it would start to bring about uh, ways in which we can compare it to some existing component. And um, yeah, and, uh, you know, just kind of getting intimate with like, you know, like, oh, at this force, you know, it's, you know, at 70 pounds moving at this stroke, we really are like that kind of a screw. 
but they last longer than we do. But, or like, you know, in, in like every, every evolution of the design, it, there'd be something in the real world that it would compare to. And um, yeah, and it's a, you know, it's like, uh, this soup is too hot, the soup is too cold. And like, you know, maybe we can make money uh, with that thing we can compare against. And, um, you know, we're all, we're all, uh, I think one thing that, uh, that we are as a company kind of have been kind of unique and I, I, I don't know enough companies to know this, uh, exactly how this compares, but we've always had a very, uh, we're always fundraising in very lean amounts. We were, we've been on angel investment for a, quite a good amount of time and we didn't want to ratch up, you know, we didn't want to borrow a whole bunch of money until we really knew we were shooting after a real problem. So we've been, um, I think one of the investors, what was his name? Uh, one of the, uh, uh it's okay. It's okay to leave an investor name. Oh, okay. right. Yeah. Well, we, we, over the years, uh, <laughs> I would say like 2016, I think it's when we went to the launch festival, we were doing the rounds with like checking out investors in the California space. And, uh, and this one, was uh you know asking us of our story and then and then at the end of our story he's like man you guys are you guys are cockroaches you, you guys should be dead by now like i don't understand how you haven't found a market and you're still alive today and you're still asking for money you know it's like well you know we're, pers- we're persevering we're we're trying to be as lean as possible the whole way through we know there's something here you know and that is an interesting philosophy just we haven't talked about but when rise does seek investors it seeks an absolute minimum uh it seeks an absolute minimum every time i mean philosophically the the approach is seek no more investment than absolutely required to get to that next objective to get to that next level uh yeah. to a, you know toward a toward an independently viable business it's an interesting approach it's not you know we're not going to go out and find and get a hundred million dollars and figure out how to spend it we're going to go seek you know a small amount of funding to get us you know to the next to this next breakthrough uh and uh and we'll find partners along the way that want to use the technology that that's philosophically how they've worked yeah and yeah, lean yeah, no, I, and and a lot of that has happened right in your own labs, right? All of the the work and not, I mean, you've had some partners. We're gonna speak to one um, here at another time, but yeah, Kyle, tell me a little bit about um, one of the breakthroughs, or I guess I, I um, was corrected; it was not a mistake. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, as you <laughs> as you learned um, more about uh, not just the, um, the cables or in this case, belts, um, mm. you know, and, and uh, noticing where they were tiring out. Um, but what, what was the breakthrough that, that really led to this next level where in your, I've, I've heard it from, you know, Tomas, I've heard it from Blake, I've heard it from yeah. Aaron, but, but tell me from your perspective, especially coming from uh, specifically industrial design, everything you'd learned, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, that breakthrough. Yeah. So, um, so, so I'll quickly speak to the evolution. So, uh, you know, when I showed up and I was looking at that little toy, uh, at the time, the innovation was this thing that we called a conical windlass, windlass. And, um, and eventually that evolved in away from the conical shape into the classical windlass where you have two drum diameters. And, um, 
And what we were doing is we were at that time, I think at that time we were starting to compare or test against, uh, we're using air compression as a, as the means to uh, stress test our linear actuator. So we took like a, uh, we took like a normal windlass. And at that time we started to get into belts. And so we would have to wrap a belt around these drums helically, and they would have to exit the drum and do 90 degree turns and you know move about like bunny ears so that way the carriage would move in in line with the whole arrangement and um and so we were we were putting some pretty significant twists to to get the belt to go 90 degrees you know like a mule drive to make very strange 90 degree turns and it would have twists at all points but we did notice that the shortest length you know, the least ideal zone for the belt where the twist is the most severe was presenting some sort of a problem. And as we would cycle test these things, I was noticing that uh, one edge of the belt would kind of be climbing up, kind of like squeezing up and it would, it would get destroyed on one edge of the belt. And I was noticed, actually what I really noticed was a, uh, like a pile of uh, burnt rubber, you know, just kind of like just debris underneath the rotor, indicating that there's uh, some sort of abrasion or something occurring, just leaving little indicators of wear underneath on the table. And then, you know, I was like, that's interesting. And then Aaron and I were staring at it. And like, and I was just kind of joking. I was like, man, is there some sort of a way where you can like, you know, like, you know, is there a way where you can compensate uh, this you know, that edge that was, you know, that was showing all sorts of destruction. I think it was, it would easy, it would even reveal uh, exposed belt after a certain amount of time. But, you know, I, at the time I was joking, like, oh, like maybe could the surfaces of the, of the rotor be skewed in a way. So that way it would uh, force the belt to track away from the edge that it was wrecking against. And then, uh, and then Aaron and I were just kind of spitballing. I can't really remember the details, but uh, Blake came over and then and was like math, and then yeah, just yeah. proposed an entirely uh, proposed a an interesting thought process along those lines. I can't remember that. That's all Blake's head over there. I don't know what what was going on. So but yeah, so this after, is and yeah. I've said this to you before, Justin. This is this is this is the intersection of elegant mathematics and practical applications. And, you know, we've, I've, you know, Blake's corrected the word I use often, so I'll, I'll use it correctly this time, but there are two ways, there are two ways to kill a belt. One of them is to twist it when it's, ro when it's rolling, when, you're, when it's moving, the other is to fleet it. So you, you bend it about, you know, around an axis that's perpendicular to the plane of the belt. And those two things will just destroy the life of a belt. But it turns out that if you, if you twist and fleet at the same time, at the right ratio, uh, you can actually improve the life of the belt, or, or I shouldn't say improve it, it's going to wear out eventually, but you're going to get extraordinary, unexpected life uh, from the belt. And, and that, that mathematics, that's really from the mind of Blake, which is so unbelievable from our chief technology <laughs> officer, uh, that, oh. that forms the basis of... Um, many of the patents that are at the heart of RISE technology and, and RISE cylinder. Yeah. So two wrongs made a right. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. I almost kind of view it as exactly like, right. uh, 
Yeah, I was viewed as like on on uh, car uh, car steering, how you have like toe and camber and and all that. You know, there's some combination where the wear is reasonable and the car tracks forward and you know. But if if any of those compensations are out of whack, you know, the car will drift or it'll be like rolling down the road diagonally. You know, like it it feels almost it that like when it first came about when Blake revealed that thought principle. That's that was kind of going to my head because I, you know, during school I was working on like a, on a vehicle, a two per two person, uh, folding bike, I guess you could say, and uh, that's where I learned about suspension and all that subtlety, and it's subtle. Interesting, is it? Because I when I when I first saw the the mathematics, I thought of high banked oval racetrack. Oh. You know, it's the same kind. It's the same kind of idea where you're where you're rolling, you, you know, you bet, you know, you, you dive into a curve and the, and the bank and the bank and the, and the bank of the track relieves the stress, right. Mm-hmm. Relieves stress to a point, uh, and you find an equilibrium, which is, I mean, or, or even on, you know, highways in this country that are there mm-hmm. where the exit ramps are banked and those sorts of things. It's that same kind of feeling where you can't twist it. You can't fleet it. But if you do it at the same time at the right ratio, then you've got this perfect dissipation of of stress that allows you to maximize life, and that that's really yeah. that's really at the heart of this technology. Yeah, and, and today that that technology is lending itself to potentially solve you know problems in a in a whole host of industries. Um, Ken, maybe you jump in and, and tell me a little bit about um, you know the first industry that that rise is really going to tackle yeah we, we want to lift we want to we want to uh walk before we run i guess and the and the the, the applications that rise cylinder does extremely well and does many of them but the first the first one is lifting and placing applications and so uh so any material handling forklifts that those sorts of things but the Perhaps the best application for Rise technology is a power lift gate, and uh, that's the product that we're going to commercialize with a company that many people know, Anthony. Uh, and Anthony is the original inventor of the power lift gate for Class Eight trucks and, and that type of last mile delivery. And uh, and basically, a, a power lift gate is a is a device that if you've loaded a truck at a loading dock and you have to deliver something heavy object to uh, to a location without a loading loading dock. Let's say they're going to deliver, you know, the kitchen appliances to my home. Uh, in fact, they did that here not too long ago, and they <laughs> used a power lift gate. And the, and the and the lift gate simply lowers it to the ground, so they can get it on a on a on a on a dolly and roll it up to the front door. Well, what's really cool about the about Rise in that application is that the motor that we use to lift an object into the back of the truck. We actually turn that motor around and run it as a generator when we set the, the the object down on the ground from the truck, and that actually that generates power. and And one of the big problems with lift gates, uh, with hydraulically powered lift gates, is they use a lot of power. Uh, and one of the uh, one of the failure modes that drives shippers nuts is they get to a site and the lift gate won't work because the battery's dead. Uh, and the Rise technology in that application just frankly prevents that from happening because we're generating we're generating power recharging the battery as we go so that's the first product we're going to go really to commercial make commercially available uh, at the battery show september 14th novi michigan be there with us and uh, we'll show off some more stuff 
And, and Kyle, yeah. how, how does that fit within, you know, the, uh, the vision that the founders kind of laid out, you know, I wouldn't say years ago, but, uh, you know, I know Ken is more, more recent to this is, and um, these are, are newer areas of opportunity, but um, you know, uh, uh, how does that fit within, you know, the vision that was set and the mission that you guys are on? Well, uh, we've always had the idea of uh, fun fueling industry. Uh, I think for quite a while, a story Aaron would always tell is, you know, the, uh, the deeper story behind um, Henry Ford and the commercialization of the automobile. And uh, Henry Ford failed twice, failed two different companies when he left Edison's lab. Uh, Henry Ford was trying to commercialize his motor, his, his utility machine, the thing that would produce power at the end of a shaft. I think if I recall, recall correctly, it was uh, he first tried selling the motor its, as itself as a component. Didn't really work. The second time around, he was trying to sell an all utility tractor that would do everything under the sun, you know, everything agriculture. It could cut, cut grass and stuff. And like, it just didn't sell. And then the third time around, he's like, ah, oh, let's, let's just race these things around on a cart. You know, let's just do the Henry Ford sweepstakes. And for some odd reason, like that caught like wildfire, wildfire. And, and that's when, uh, that's when the industry realized the importance of the automobile. And so, so, you know, jumping over into our world, it's like, ah, like the vision is man amplifying uh, clothing. And, and it's going to take a lot to get to that point where it doesn't hurt anybody. It's easy to make. It's very affordable. You know, the common athletic person could afford such a thing. And that road is so long that we kind of knew that we would have to commercialize the key ingredients that would make that application work. We would have to commercialize the components if it was so darn good. We'd have to commercialize it into today's problems, into today's real-world industrial problems. And um, and you want to pick an application that is easy to achieve, given that what you you know uh, what you can, given what you demonstrate today, you want to go into an application that you would know that you would satisfy right away in terms of cycle life and force and speed. It would be a great equivalent, a, a no-brainer drop-in. So you know, we've been pretty. Um, we've we've ultimately of all the things that we were skating around. There's all sorts of appliances that need pushing and pulling, and the one that resonated the most at the time was lift gates. Uh, the big business problem is that these trucks out there on the field uh, needed to. Uh, uh, well. Well, one of the big things that's going on in cities across the U.S. is the no idling laws. You know, a lot of these trucks are a thing to blame as far as pollution and air quality. So they've been putting up these, you know, these little uh, uh, laws saying that you can't leave your truck idling when you're delivering goods in the in the cities or districts or whatever. And uh, and then you're, now you're probably wondering why why would that matter? I mean, everyone should turn off the truck and don't be a don't be a bonehead and you know leave your car while it's unlocked kind of a thing. Uh, sounds turns simple. Out, sounds obvious. Yeah. yeah. Sounds obvious, right? Well, it turns out that if you don't idle your truck, it makes it hard to turn back on. Well, why is that? Well, for a lot of these trucks that have big appliances, either like refrigeration units or lift gates, more often than not, the truck driver will not be able to turn on his truck because the little poor 12 volt batteries that sit in there are drained beyond the ability for the 
truck to turn over again, which especially when they have so, both. And, and if you usually, if you have oh, re- yeah. refrigeration, you have lift gate because yep. you know, right. you need to unload, unload pallets. And so yeah, big time. And so, those little alternators are just not good enough at putting the energy back over the, you know, the course of like driving down the block, two blocks, you know, that is right. not enough time for you to replenish the batteries. And uh, that in combination with the uh, hydraulics have a tendency to, to just degrade in performance as it calendar ages or just as you use it, uh, the nature of hydraulics pollutes itself and the pollution of itself, uh, you know, the uh, little metal particles swirl around in the big liquid bath and they get wedged in things. It ultimately means uh, it gets less efficient. It, it draws more power. Yeah, just to do the same task over time, no matter what you do, it'll just become less efficient. So uh, you either are, you know, as a, a fleet maintenance here, you should replace everything, you know, like at least once a year, but people don't. So, so these, the motors that drive the hydraulics have to work harder and harder and harder. And so naturally you're just going to be pulling so much energy from the batteries. There's nothing you could do. And, uh, and it's really hard to diagnose when is it time to replace the fluid? When is it time to replace the valves, the hoses, the seals, you know, it's people just go like, ah, when it breaks, then we'll call in a technician. And like, that sucks. Cause if you're a truck driver out in the field and you can't turn on your truck and you got goods that have to be somewhere, you lose clients that way. So, um, all the lift gate manufacturers are well aware of this problem. They all put up with it. They all shrug your shoulders and then you have the generic maintenance staff put up with it when it does happen. Um, very often you have to have another service truck to recharge the battery so they can get going. And, you know, it, it's just, it's a, it's a scenario where you're kind of blind, but um, yeah, you lose clients that way. And a uh, uh, little underdog company like Anthony, you know, who, who did have the champion title at the time who lost it to their competitors uh, is totally aware of this problem. And they, 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 uh, when when we showed up and we started saying that we could solve some of those business problems where you may be losing customers to basic mechanics, like we we could we could solve that. They were they pieced it together and they're like, yeah, this could you know this could really do a big thing for for them. And uh, you know they're hungry to get a, a competitive advantage against sure. their competitors, and so it's kind of a no brainer to them. But you know, say if you're a number one player, the number one lift gate maker you got most of the market share and you probably don't care as much because uh, the brand name works. So now we're going to see, we're going to see if technology can really knock the title champion off their feet. Um, it's, we're, it's, it's a, it's a reinvention as well. Just, I mean, it's, you know, Anthony was the original inventor of the power lift gate and working with them rises reinventing the Anthony lift gate, which is really kind of a cool, you know, it's really a great story. I, I, I think, and I, and I do, there's some real advantages here for Anthony and their customers and, 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 a, and a great opportunity for them to restore their position as market leaders. So we're, we're very, uh, I mean, we're just thrilled to be working with them, thrilled to be launching the product and very, obviously very excited, enthusiastic about it. Well, great stories, Kyle. I love it, man. I just I yeah, love the yeah. perspective. That's fantastic. I mean, the, the future is certainly bright. And that's why, you know, I love the, the line, you know, rise inside, right? Rise, 
you know, is going to be inside, uh, you know, some of these underdogs, uh, you know, I know, I know we view ourselves as underdogs, uh, you know, and um, yeah. to your point, um, I mean, thinking about speaking to an investor five years ago and they're like, what are you doing? And here we are five years later, you know, really that, making, yeah. making a difference, still sticking around. I think, I think that's a testament to your fortitude. The yeah, cockroach, yeah. the, the cockroach is still alive. I can't That's believe right. it. Five years yep. Later. <laughs> yep. That's great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, <laughs> uh, I appreciate you both uh, joining me today. Um, yeah. It's been really great, uh, you know, hearing your perspective. Hell yeah. Likewise. Uh, we should do this more often. Uh, it's not every day we can get the wide angle view of where did we come from? You know, yeah. when you're in the day to day, you're just trying to shoot at the, shoot at the problems as they come. But um, it is really energizing to, to kind of reflect on how crazy of a harebrained idea this is. We'll be I mean, wired one day. I can't, I, I can't wait to uh, have you guys listen to each other talk about it too. It's going to be pretty Whoa. cool. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> fun. It'll be fun to hear it. Thanks, Justin. I really appreciate the questions yeah. are terrific. You're bringing out some stories that I thought I already knew. And uh, so thank yeah. you for this. It's been really fun. Good deal. All right, guys. Thank thanks so much for joining me. All right, Justin. You've been listening to the Rise Inside podcast presented by Rise Robotics. On behalf of our guest today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. Please share your feedback on our LinkedIn page, linkedin.com slash company slash rise dash robotics.